young man decided he wanted a pet, and so he went out and bought a parrot and uh, brought this parrot home. He was so excited to have a pet, so excited about this parrot, thought it would be the perfect pet. But when he got it home, began to show it to the rest of his family, the parrot let off this string of curse words. And he was so embarrassed, so aggravated, he thought, I, you know, what in the world? So he, you know, he disciplined the parrot. He told the parrot, you can't talk like that. You've got to keep your mouth shut if you're going to talk like that. Well, every time people were around, this parrot would embarrass him by this string of curse words and just horrible talk. And every time he'd try to disciple, one time he was with some friends, and again the parrot, just one word after another, and the guy was embarrassed. So he took the parrot and he put it in the freezer. Thought, I'll just I'll teach him a lesson for a few minutes. So he left it in there, you know, just long enough to make him realize what was going on, but not too long to damage him in any way. And after he'd been in there for a few minutes, he went in and he pulled the parrot out and the parrot walked out and rested on his arm. And the parrot said, sir, please forgive me for my actions. I'm so sorry for the language I've been using. I promise you from now on, I will only talk appropriately. I am so sorry for the way I've behaved. And the young man's trying to process all of this and, and try to figure out what he was changed just by being in the freezer when suddenly the parrot interrupts him and says, by the way, why is, what's the chicken in the freezer for? I can't remember if I've told that before or not. But Finally, I think the boy had the parrot's attention. And uh, here's the only way I could think to apply that today. I just wanted to tell the story. Um, I hope I have your attention. Because uh, this morning I think what we're going to talk about is very important. All along this series of All In, we have um, been talking about the fact that this is a faith-growing and stretching experience for us. And that it's, not, that it's more about our faith and it's not just a money issue. And many of us would be really comfortable if we never talked about the money part of this. But how we handle our money is part of our faith. In fact, how we handle our money is a clear reflection of where we are on our faith journey. I think that's why Jesus talked about money more than any other subject while He was here on earth. And so today I want to look at a story from the life of Jesus found in Mark chapter 14. I hope you uh, brought your Bibles. Would you take them out now, in fact, and find your way to Mark chapter 14. It's the second book in the New Testament part of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're going to be in chapter 14 if you're using your iPhone or iPad or whatever. Find your way there. And uh, Jesus, uh, this story, the only, only uh, kind of background that I need to give you is this story happens about six days before Jesus will be arrested and then crucified on the cross. And so we're in the timeline of events. We're moving quickly towards His crucifixion. And six days before that, this story happens. So Mark uh, chapter 14, the story is pretty clear cut. Let me read what happens here. Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill Him. But not during the feast, they said, or people may riot. While He was in Bethany, that's Jesus, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. And you have to wonder when you read that, is Simon a guy that Jesus somewhere along the way has healed of his leprosy? A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. 
but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, whatever, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I think there's some great lessons in this story from Jesus' life, life principles for us, and some lessons we can apply to all in. The first one is, her gift was extravagant. Her, her gift to Jesus was extravagant. I mean, this perfume, this expensive perfume, would have made Chanel look like a Walmart special. This perfume, this nard, was probably imported from India. And uh, it, uh, it was incredibly expensive. We read here that it was worth a year's wages. I mean, can you imagine buying a bottle of perfume that would cost you everything you make this year? It, 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 the, if we read the story later in the book of John, you find that she had 12 ounces of it. So about a, a soda can's worth of this intensely fragrant perfume, something this expensive, was probably a family heirloom. And can you imagine, she takes it and she pours it over Jesus. I, I mean, imagine being there and watching someone take something that expensive, something that would cost you a year's wage, and pour it all over Jesus, all of it. I mean, in a moment, it is gone, used up, no more. What an incredibly extravagant gift that she gave to Jesus. In fact, to, in the view of a lot of people, they would have seen this as maybe overly extravagant, but not to Jesus. Do you notice what Jesus says to her? Jesus says she has done a beautiful Why does he say that? Because he saw that her gift was a reflection of her heart. She had an extravagant love for Jesus. Why? Because he had changed her life. She was filled with hope because of her experience with Jesus. Now, why would I say that? Because again, if you read the same story that's found in John chapter 12, you discover that Mary... This woman is Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had become close friends with Jesus. He had been in their home many times and their lives had been changed and they had begun to follow Jesus. They had made Him, in essence, their Savior. And if you remember the story about Lazarus, there was the moment where Lazarus became sick and died. And what did Mary and Martha immediately think to do? They called for Jesus. And Jesus, their friend, came and stood in front of Lazarus' tomb and He called Lazarus back from the dead. Mary was a woman filled with hope and her life had been changed. And so she gave this gift as an act of worship. Think about this for us. Do you realize that your bank and credit card statements are theological documents? They are. Because they demonstrate who or what you worship in your life. Have you ever given an extravagant gift to Jesus as an act of demonstrating your worship to Him? Next week when we begin to give towards all in, it's an opportunity for us to do something extravagant for Jesus. To demonstrate to Him that we we love Him. And that our lives have been changed. To do something that is an act of worship towards Him. 
And I'm hoping that all of us would take advantage of this opportunity to do something that seems extravagant. You know what to, What we'll do next week to some people who don't follow Jesus or even to some people who just simply don't follow Him closely, what many of us will choose to do might seem extravagant. But how refreshing it would be for all of us if Jesus were to say to each one of us, you have done a beautiful thing. Her gift was extravagant. The other thing I noticed about her gift, her gift was sacrificial. Most likely, this was her saving. This was her nest egg. I mean, if you read the story in the context here, it's pretty apparent that she doesn't have five more of these alabaster jars sitting on the shelf at home waiting on her. This is it. This is her savings. And so don't underestimate how big this sacrifice was. She gives something that is huge, very expensive, and a big sacrifice to her. When was the last time that you truly sacrificed something for Jesus? Sacrifice is giving something that you love, giving it up for something that you love more. What are you willing to give up in your life because you love Jesus? Again, next week, all in, is an opportunity for us to do something in our lives that is sacrificial. Now listen, you know what? Sacrifice looks different for all of us because sacrifice is dependent on our life circumstances. There are many in this room today that that to even think about a way to try to give maybe $1,000 over the next two years would be a huge sacrifice. It'd be difficult to figure out how to do that. So you know what? There are many others in this room that to give ten times that amount over two years would be the definition of sacrifice. There there may be someone here this morning that to give a hundred times that would define sacrifice in their life. Sacrifice for each of us depends on our circumstances. And it's not about equal gifts, but it is about equal sacrifice. And God would challenge all of us at times in our life to find ways that we can sacrifice. Because there is something that happens in us when we give up something to demonstrate that we love Jesus more than we love that. Let me challenge you to think about doing this. Because maybe you're trying to think about, well, what are ways that I could, what are some sacrifices I could make? And so I, uh, I thought of this really early, a couple months, about a month ago actually. I thought about what if everybody in our church just determined that when they went out to eat for the next two years during All In, that rather than paying to buy iced tea or soda, we just committed we were going to drink water. And so I did the, some calculations on that. On a typical Sunday morning anymore around here, there are about 300 adults that uh, come to worship here. And uh, if we all eat out once a week, which for a lot of us is w- way less than what we actually eat out, Maybe for some of you that's a stretch. But suppose that there are 300 adults. We eat out, each eat out one time a week at about $2 a drink, which is what they cost at most restaurants, sometimes more than that, sometimes a little less. That would equate over a two-year period to $62,400 that we would save and we could make a sacrifice to God. And I'm guessing that we eat out a little more often than that and we probably purchase drinks. And so here's my challenge. I'm challenging everybody in our church is one thing that we could all do and one thing that we could pretty easily hold each other accountable for is let's make that sacrifice for the next couple of years. And when we go out to eat, 
We don't spend that money on drinks. And we make that sacrifice and we give that money to God. And uh, now, now here be the thing, you know, there's always loopholes, right? Where, uh, and I thought about this, you know, sometimes you go to places like, you go to Moe's on Mondays where the drink is part of the package deal, five ninety nine. Um, you know, go ahead then, okay? Because it's part of the deal, you're not actually paying for it, right? So you'll see our family often at Moe's on Mondays or other places like that. So there's always a loophole, right? What are you willing to sacrifice to demonstrate that you love God more than you love those things? And I think that's a question all of us have to answer at times in our lives. And I would encourage you, challenge you, that as you think about what kind of commitment you'll make next week, that you examine in your life what are some sacrifices that we would be willing to make. You know what's interesting? It's interesting that we have such a a mindset in ourselves because we, we get so many, we get inundated with requests for charitable contributions, don't we? Charitable gifts. That we've created this mindset in all of ourselves that we, we have begun to think, how little can I give instead of how much can I give? And when it comes to what we are willing to do for Jesus, shouldn't the question be, how much am I willing to give? How much am I willing to sacrifice? I think it's a contradictory thing. Here are Christians who want to be part of a vibrant church And yet they try to excuse themselves either partially or completely from being all in with their their abilities and their finances in helping to accomplish God's mission here on the earth. And so my challenge as we approach next week is to think about what can I do to be all in, to be part of what God's called us to do. Because listen, I'll wait and say that later. Next thing. So she, she gave an extravagant gift. She gave a sacrificial gift. And, and, but to give that sacrificial, extravagant gift, she had to overcome some obstacles. And maybe we will too. First, she had to give despite some protests. But listen again to Mark chapter 14, verse 4. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Now, I have to think that she, before she ever got there, I think she knew that there were going to be some people who would protest. There would be people who would question what she was doing. And I'm pretty confident that as you contemplate your involvement in All In, you may face some protests. It may come from people within your own home. It may come from some friends at work if you talk about this. It it may come from parents. It may come, for many of us, from inside of our own head and heart. This woman faced protests from people who should have known better. I mean, these were religious leaders. One of them was a disciple of Jesus. They were people who were close to Jesus, and yet, in each of their own ways, they questioned the validity of what she was doing. But she was determined that despite their protest, she was going to do what she believed in her heart she needed and wanted to do. And so she gave sacrificially and extravagantly anyway. And I hope that despite any protest that you may have from others or from yourself or from Satan, that you will choose to do what you believe God wants you to do and needs you to do. 
Here's another protest that I think maybe she faced. I, I wonder if she faced the question, does God really need my money? In her case, it would have been, does Jesus really need this gift of mine? And maybe that's a question that you'll ask. Does God really need my money? Because sometimes we're tempted as people to think, well, you know what? God can accomplish this. He can do it. If He, he wants this to happen, He'll do it without me. But I, I want to tell you, that's, that's faulty thinking and faulty theology. I mean, can God do it without us? Yes, certainly, but that's not the point. The point is that God wants to do it through you, and He wants you to be part of it. You see, that's how He designed the church to function. We're one body. We're a unit. We're a family. And He wants all of us to be part of what He wants to do. And I think this woman had to decide that she knew this was, this was the moment. And she needed to do what was in her heart to do. Believing that God wanted her to use her in that way. Here's a third protest I think some of us may face. We may face the, the issue of timing. There were some who questioned the timing of her gift. And there may be some thoughts that you'll have about the timing of your ability to do something for God right now. And it would be a natural thing to question that. But I want to say to you that I think this woman understood that this was the moment. I wonder if she didn't know somehow in her heart and mind that just a short time period later, Jesus would die and this was her moment. She had to anoint Him now. Craftsman, I want to say to you, the time has come. This is our moment in history when we need to step up and respond and do something. So I'm challenging that as you think about coming next week, you prepare yourself to, to give in two ways. In fact, as you came in today, you received uh, one of these uh, commitment cards. Let me just uh, quickly kind of explain that to you so you can be praying and thinking about it this week. You'll, you can fill this one out and bring it with you, or if you forget it next week, we'll, we'll have some other ones for you. But uh, this commitment card, this has a place at the top for your name and contact information, which we encourage you to put on there. Then on number one, it says uh, a kickoff gift. And here's what we're challenging you to think about doing sacrificially and extravagantly. We're asking next Sunday that you consider writing the largest check you've ever written to Crosspoint. And that you simply write that the amount of that check and include the check uh, next week and, and write that on line one. The second thing we're challenging you to do is to think about what kind of commitment could I make sacrificially to give over the next two years. And maybe that money would you give weekly or monthly or quarterly or some annual figure. And whatever that amount is, you would write that in the second space there. And then maybe for some of you, you think, well, you know what, I, uh, I'd like to give some kind of gift in kind, some kind of non-cash gift. I, I have some stocks or some mutual funds that I want to give or I, I have um, you know, a, a boat or a car or something like that. And you can estimate the value of that and, and write that in there and then, then total those things up. Last night, our leaders uh, got together. Uh, to make their commitments, because we wouldn't ask you to do something that we haven't done first ourselves. And so we came together, staff and the shepherds and the, some of our campaign team. And uh, there were 12 commitments made last night, and those uh, 12 commitments totaled nearly $100,000. That they have uh, taken the lead and said, yeah, we're leading the way. You can applaud for that. Yeah, absolutely. So we're well on our way. We're well on our way uh, to seeing what God's going to do. I, um, I, I think it's also important for you to know uh, 
for me personally that the time has come. I am. Um, uh, this would be one of those things that would be uh, easy to be silent about. But I, I want you to know, you, you could easily think, well, you know, you're talking a good game for this all-in thing, but are you really um, all-in? And it would be easy to be silent about what uh, Peg and I uh, plan to do financially. But I'm afraid that that opens the door for some people to equate our silence with maybe we're not practicing what I'm preaching. And so as uncomfortable as it is for me to talk publicly about our finances, I think this is too important uh, not to. We're like any normal family. You know, we, we have life stuff that we deal with. Um, I have two sons in college. And uh, those of you who are at that point in life know um, that's not cheap. Not a cheap point in life to be in. Um, every year we meet our maximum out-of-pocket health expenses because Michael has uh, reoccurring checkups for all of his uh, cancer that he suffered through a couple of years ago. And uh, you know, well, then we have all of the normal expenses of a family. And so, like many of you, it has been a, a challenge for us to figure out how, how can we maneuver through our finances and find some ways to give like we want to, extravagantly and sacrificially. So I, I began investigating some of the money I've put away for retirement to see is there any of that money that I could get my hands on without having to pay uh, taxes and penalties. And um, I discovered that uh, there's about $10,000 that I could get my hands on without penalty. And so um, next week, that's a part of what Peg and I are going to give as our kickoff gift. Um, now, trust me, for us to write a check of that size in our lives, that is walking to the edge of all of the light that we have. And then it's taking one more step. And uh, we're trusting God that over the next few years, He's going to generously replace that money. Then we began to think about, so beyond that, what to kind of, Commitment can we make over the next uh, two years? And uh, what could we do? What can we sacrifice to find ways to give on a regular basis uh, to all in? And so a big thing at our house is we're uh, giving up satellite TV for the next two years, right after the Michigan game. Well, actually, the way things are going, maybe we'll go ahead and give it up next week. But uh, that's a big deal at our house. And we love having that. But we've determined that we love God more. And uh, we're giving up several other things to uh, kind of get to the point financially, the sacrificial commitment that we want to make over those next two years. And so uh, we're not going to eat out as much, and we're going to join you guys in giving up iced tea and soda when we eat out. And uh, we're going to take a less expensive vacation and those kinds of things because um, we know that the time has come. The time has come for us as a family to financially be all in and to take a step of faith and to trust God to care for us in ways like maybe He's never done before. This guy named Darrow in 1934 invented uh, the Monopoly game. Did you know there was, he was the inventor? And do you know that uh, Parker Brothers actually uh, saw several fatal design flaws in his game and they refused it at first? So he began to market it himself until uh, those sales exploded and then Parker's Brothers decided... Maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea uh, to buy his game. Uh, I, I only say that to say uh, I grew up playing Monopoly a lot. I can remember, maybe I've told you this before, in, in middle school I can remember a lot of uh, you know, rainy or snowy days up north where we'd spend the whole day inside with friends playing Monopoly. And I loved to win at Monopoly. You know, I'd love to, to take their property and take their hotels and accumulate all the cash and be the winner at the end and just to you know, rub that fake money in my hands, you know. It felt good. But you know what the reality is of Monopoly? It all goes back in the box at the end of the game, doesn't it? 
And that's also true of life. When we get to the end, we could have accumulated all kinds of things and we could rub our fingers all over it, but the reality is it all goes back in the box at the end. Wouldn't it be a great thing to know that we took some of the resources that God blessed us with and we used that money to help make heaven more crowded and to try to put hell out of business? Isn't your money worth that? See, I believe the time has come for us to do something that's sacrificial, to do something that may seem extravagant, to do something that helps us to take advantage of this incredible opportunity that God has given us to have a new tool that will allow us to continue to reach people and to change lives. And that's ultimately what it's all about. So I'm challenging all of us to follow the example of our leaders and the next week to step forward in faith and to trust God and to do something sacrificial. I love what it says in Romans 8, and we've been wrapping up with this verse the whole time because I think it is so uh, significant. God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. And I am adventurously expectant about what God is going to do in each of our lives next week as we take a step in faith. Now listen, I also want to be clear about this. The reason that we would even talk about this today, the reason that we began to even venture down this road months ago, was because we follow a Savior named Jesus Christ. And that Savior, thousands of years ago, went to the cross and died for our sins. And we've been given the privilege of telling people that redeeming story so that their lives can be changed. You know what? In fact, I want to tell that story for just a moment today. Because I'm pretty sure there might be some people in this room this morning that for one reason or another have never accepted the gift that Jesus offered when He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And uh, all of us are like me. There have been those moments in life where we, we did wrong. We, we messed up. We sinned. And we need forgiveness. We need redemption. We need to have our relationship with God restored. And that is possible by deciding to follow Jesus, to make Him your Savior, to say to Him today, Hey, I accept your gift of forgiveness. I accept the gift that you offered to me when you died on the cross in my place. And I want to follow you. I want you to be my leader. And then, as the Bible so clearly describes for us, to follow that decision by publicly declaring your faith in Jesus by being baptized or immersed in water. And both of those things can happen today before you leave this place. As we wrap up in a minute, I'll be down here in the front. And if you want to make Jesus your Savior, come and talk to me. We'll pray together. You can invite Jesus into your life and ask for His forgiveness. And if you've never followed that step by being immersed, baptized, then we've made that available today too. And I'm hoping that some of you will respond to that invitation. And uh, we're going to gather in a few moments after we wrap up right out in the front of the school. We've got a portable baptismal pool that we've set up. And today could be the day that you are obedient to Jesus in baptism. And you think, well, maybe I didn't come prepared for that. Uh, We did. We've got some clothes down here, shorts and t-shirts and towels. And so if you want to just come and grab those and go and change and meet us out front, you have the opportunity to be baptized. And we'd love to celebrate that. 
That's why we exist. That's what we're about as a church. And sometimes in the talk of our future and moving and transition, maybe we could lose sight of that. And so I wanted us to be clear this morning. That's why we exist. That's what we're all about, is to point people to Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I, I pray that together as a church, you would work in our hearts this week and move us all to the place where we would say we are all in. We're willing to take a risk, to make a sacrifice, to do something risky for you. And I pray in this moment, God, for people in this room who need to take the first step to being all in with Jesus by accepting Him as their Savior and by publicly declaring their faith in baptism. I pray, God, that they'd have the courage that they'd overcome any doubt that Satan throws their way this morning and they'd step out and say, today I'm going to follow Jesus. Father, that that would be our greatest celebration is to celebrate that together this morning. God, thanks for our time together today. We trust you with our future. In Jesus' name we pray.